If you look at the evidence, if you're trying to explain the resurrection, the resurrection hypothesis makes the most sense of the evidence, but you can't accept that if you already believe that the resurrection is not possible because you don't believe in God. This is Pastor John and Pastor Tim here, and this is the Every Moment His podcast, and uh, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Yeah. We're sitting here in the sanctuary of Holy Cross in Kearney and looking at the beautiful stained glass coming through the, the afternoon windows, and we are on part number two of us. Um, a series on the resurrection. Why should we really hold to the historical fact of the resurrection? Yep, because if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then yeah. do something else with your life, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. Or eat, drink, be merry. Be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what the uh, the Greeks said. Yeah, which makes a lot of logical sense if yeah. this life is all you get. The uh, contemporary version of that is YOLO. YOLO. Yeah. Is that still a thing? You only live once. Yeah, I see. YOLO. <laughs> it, yeah. It was here for a while and then... I think people live it, though. I think so, too. I think yeah. the idea is still around. It is. So, uh, how about this? How about instead of a dad joke, how about you read a quote by C.S. Lewis? <laughs> so, sounds good. <laughs> Much more proper. <laughs> okay. All right. So, C.S. Lewis, uh, the ever-quotable, he says this, Christianity, if false is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Hmm. I wish that Hobby Lobby would make that sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would put it in my dining room. <laughs> to contemplate. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be kind of interesting yeah. to have people see when they come over. Huh. I'm telling you, this is a business idea for us here, John. I yeah. Um, <laughs> so, right. so yeah. So whether Jesus was raised is the most important question ever. Uh, but to say that Christ is raised is a pretty tall claim to make, especially in a world where we're always competing for what even is true, and there's so many voices out there, and you can find anything on YouTube mm -hmm. to confirm what you already believe. And so. Um, we want to go into this whole question of, is this worth believing? And uh, we kind of got a good start last time, but today we're going to take a look at some of the alternate explanations uh, for uh, the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And do these uh, explanations make sense? And why might somebody embrace one of these explanations rather than admitting that Christ truly was raised? Okay. So we want to look at that and we want to know, yeah, I, I got to know this, you know, if someone was dead and then they're raised from the dead, like every good thing that has ever happened in my life has happened because of uh, me being alive <laughs> and yeah. in a body. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody um, was resurrected, I mean, that changes everything. So we, we got to know. So let's dig a little bit. So first of all, where are we starting at? We talked a little bit about the empty tomb. 
last time, the fact of the empty tomb. We talked about the weirdness of the beginning of Christianity, mm-hmm. the, the eyewitnesses, the women, uh, St. Paul um, changing teams, and how that all kind of points to something significant happened. Yeah, something happened, yeah. yeah. What else is accepted in, the, in, in scholarship? So not just the casual person, but serious historians, what do they accept? Yeah, and so this is a great place to start. And this is exactly what Michael Lacona does in his, his book, The Resurrection of Jesus. Uh, if you're a history person, if you like history, and if you've got time to read 650 pages of history stuff, go for it. There's a lot of smaller books, and maybe we can recommend some of those uh, for somebody who wants the, <laughs> the cliff notes. But yeah. um, in his book, The Resurrection of Jesus, Michael Lacona uh, he actually got his doctorate in history so he could look at this question of mm. the resurrection. And what he did is he made, um, he makes his argument on the basis of what he calls bedrock historical facts. And what he means by this is, let's take a look at the question of the resurrection on the basis of what just about all scholars, Christian or not, all historians, Christian or not, are willing to admit about Jesus and the resurrection. Okay. So, yeah. So that's a great place to start because yeah. he's, he's trying to establish credibility in the wider right. scholarship. So lowest common denominator. Let's, there are a lot of strong arguments we can make for a lot of things, but let's just go with the bare basics that just about everybody's going to believe. Yeah. So the crazy, those crazy people who might deny everything important, like Caesar Augustus never existed, right? Those would be the outliers. We're talking about serious scholars who would never deny something as a fact if there was enough good, credible evidence for it. Right. So here are the three basic bedrock historical facts that almost all scholars, historians accept, you know, who are in this field will accept as certain. Number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. Everybody agrees on that. I mean, if you go on, on YouTube and you see a video about Jesus never existed, right. like that's laughable. Laughable. Yeah, right. And I mean, nobody really believes that. Like serious historians believe that Jesus did not exist. I mean, there's just too much evidence. Like the whole New Testament and even some extra biblical, like outside of the Bible stuff that we have just shows that, yes, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who, you know, was... Uh, Jewish rabbi, carpenter, and that he was crucified. Crucifixion was a very common form of execution. In fact, we read about it in Josephus and some of his Jewish history. I mean, it's, it's and it was very traumatic for the Jewish people Absolutely. because so many people were crucified both before Jesus was crucified and after. That the cross had a very kind of repulsive meaning. In fact, in some of the Roman history or Roman writings that we have, uh, to speak about the cross is shameful. Hmm. It's, it's below the Roman citizen to talk about the cross hmm. because it's something that no Roman citizen should ever see, uh, let alone experience, is yeah. crucifixion. And, and I know that you know, uh, Christian artwork never depicted a cross for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. We had different pictures of Jesus, like as a good shepherd and things like that. Yeah, right. But because you, you would think, you know, yeah, my, my uncle died of this, right? My, I, I watched my uncle die on a cross. I would never yeah. embrace that as a good symbol. 
Yeah, it's 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 just really trauma. Almost crazy to think that the symbol of shame and defeat and subjugation by the Roman Empire was embraced as the sign of victory. And I think it took the church a while to make the cross its sign. In fact, the first time we kind of see the cross as a sign um, is, uh, is like a sketch. Uh, it's a sketch uh, on a wall uh, done by somebody who was not a Christian making mm-hmm. fun of another Christian. Right. And it has a donkey on a cross. And yeah. I think it says like, Alexander worships his God or something like right. that. Yeah. And so they were making fun of Je- the God who died, right? Yeah. Was, was yeah. comical for them. But back to the, the fact, no credible historian would ever say Jesus of Nazareth was, first of all, that he didn't exist. Right. And second, that he was in, indeed not crucified. They wouldn't deny that. Yeah. It's interesting to me that the, the Muslim faith denies his crucifixion. Yeah, they have a couple different kind of interpretations. They would say that 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 Jesus only appeared to die, which mm-hmm. actually this was a early Christian heresy called docetism, mm. that he only seemed to die or he only seemed to be truly God in the flesh. Um, and, but then they would say even that somebody took his place, like uh, Simon of Cyrene or okay. somebody kind of, you know. They did the old switcheroo. They did the, the switcheroo at the last minute. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, yeah, so the second bedrock fact is that very shortly after Jesus' death, not a generation after, not decades after, very shortly after Jesus' death, the disciples had experiences that led them to believe and proclaim that Jesus had been resurrected and had appeared to them. Okay, so we kind of touched on this last mm-hmm. uh, episode as well because people are saying this, uh, and credible people, you know, people who were... Uh, opposed to this event happening, they began to say, no, he really did get raised from the dead. Yeah, so so um, scholars and historians are recognizing that, hey, like we can't account for the existence of the New Testament and the early church and its growth. We can't, we can't account for these things unless the disciples did have some type of experience in which they were persuaded that Jesus was raised. Now, how do you explain that? Was it hallucination? Was it mm-hmm. maybe they, they um, some other kind of explanation like we talked about earlier? Yeah. But they're going to admit that they had some kind of an experience. Okay, so the evidence is out there. Um, people are saying this very early um, in juxtaposition to the actual death of Jesus yeah. by cross. Okay. Yep. And then number three is that within a few years of Jesus' death, Paul converted after what he interpreted as a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to him. Now, we could add James, uh, the brother of Jesus, to this, but uh, there's not a, a wide enough consensus on that. The, the, the evidence is strong. We have to account for it. But because we're doing lowest common denominator yeah, here, bedrock. we're going to just say, okay, Paul. You well, have to, he wrote like a third of the New Testament, and he talks openly about how Jesus appeared to him. And we hear about him in Luke's book of Acts. So something happened with Paul. And, and not only that, we have so much of Paul's writing, so many manuscripts, because they were circulated throughout the ancient world. Yeah. So they're all over the place. It's not an isolated event. Everybody knows Paul really wrote these letters. He really did think he sought Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it changed his life. Yeah, and it got him killed too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once again, trust trust the witnesses who have their throats slit. <laughs> yeah, right. 
So if we all agree on these bedrock facts, and I think that there's good credible evidence for something as bedrock as the empty tomb, but once again, we're trying to play fair. Uh, if we agree on these three bedrock claims, then we have to come to an explanation of how do we account for this? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, as Christians, we're going to say, well, Jesus was raised from the dead. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. But if you nicely. don't believe that there is a God or you don't believe that miracles can happen, if you don't believe that the dead can be raised, then you need to come up with some way of explaining this. And so this is really at the heart of Lacona's book. He, he's really saying, how are other people explaining these things? And do they make sense within the way that we do history, the way that we come to historical certainty about things? All right. So what's one of the alternate explanations that someone, uh, a serious historian, is going to try to explain how the early church came to be in the wake of the death of Jesus? Yeah, in the book, Lacona looks at, uh, I believe, five, and these are represented by specific scholars and shared by maybe some others, but these are the scholars that, that kind of pioneered these ideas. And... Um, and uh, and there are more, but we're just going to do two today because these are kind of the two major ones. The other ones, I mean, I just don't think they add up well enough. I mean, there are some out there that just nobody really thinks are credible, like that Jesus didn't really die on the cross and right. he was put in the tomb and then he, he like miraculously recovered and... Yeah, zombie Jesus. Yeah, and then he like stumbles out of the tomb and he's like, hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite off the wall ones because if you just think, yeah, G first of all, the dude was crucified, stabbed in the side with a spear, whipped almost to death. The Romans were really good at killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Not only that, but if, if the Romans didn't kill someone sentenced to death, they would die. And so they also would break the legs to make sure yeah. that they suffocated. Yeah, so... And the idea of Jesus, you know, like showing up and being like, uh, guys, I'm raised from the dead. <laughs> you can be like me, you know. Um, and the proclamation wouldn't be that Christ is risen. It'd be that Christ survived. Yeah, right. <laughs> he right. made it. Um, yeah, nobody he, really <laughs> takes this seriously. It was popular maybe for a bit in like the 1800s. It was called the swoon theory. But anyways, um, the first one would be that the disciples hallucinated. The scholar behind this is uh, Gerd Ludemann. And he would say that, um, you know, the disciples, they, they miss Jesus so much. Um, and, and so they just um, had these hallucinations, these very real, perhaps very real experiences for them, but that were not grounded in reality. And so what Ludeman's kind of trying to do is, is he's trying to do psychoanalysts. Uh, uh, he's trying to psychoanalyze people from a different culture two millennia ago. <laughs> it's hard enough to to know what's going on inside of somebody's head right now <laughs> sitting in right. front of you. And he's trying to do that with somebody who, you know, you can't actually talk to because they're dead. Well, and it just goes to point that, like, man, there's really not good explanations outside of the resurrection. Like, people have to really do some acrobatics to try to put something like that forward. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and once again, we mentioned this on the previous episode, but there's no record of mass hallucinations in different locations where all these people have the same exact mm. or relatively similar hallucination. And what would even motivate that? Because uh, once again, nobody was expecting Jesus to be raised. Um, 
we mentioned this on the previous episode too, that that when a would-be Messiah was killed, then they wouldn't say that he was raised. They might say, well, he'll be raised at the great resurrection at the end of days, but they typically count their losses and move on and try to find the next guy who's the real Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a lot that doesn't really add up here um, with the whole hallucination deal. Yeah. Okay, what else do they try to pitch? Um, And this one... Is I believe this is is uh, John Dominic Crossan, um, and then also I think Bart Ehrman gets into this a little bit. And by the way, if you've ever watched like one of those uh, History Channel, did the resurrection happen uh, things, um, Bart Ehrman was probably he's pretty popular. He's at a he's at University of North Carolina, I think. Um, He's a New Testament scholar, and he has this kind of deconversion story, like, mm-hmm. I was a Christian, and now I'm not. Um, kind of the opposite of, like, a C.S. Lewis story where I wasn't a Christian, I was an atheist, and now I am. Yeah. And I've read his book, um, I believe it's called The Gospels Before Jesus, and, and he kind of makes this argument that, you know, that there were these stories that were just told about Jesus and, and, and this memory of Jesus cherished, and kind of like the game of telephone that, you know, if you say um, that Jesus died and we miss him and you pass it through 500 people, it might come out as Jesus Christ is risen. Hmm. And there are some problems with this. And I think first, uh, Richard Baucom in his book, uh, the, Eyewitnesses, uh, the, the Eyewitnesses of, of Jesus, uh, he does a great job of just showing how uh, oral history, oral tradition is is kind of uh, quality controlled within communities. Like mm. the community controls uh, this story. And uh, other scholars have, have established this too. Uh, Larry Hurtado, I think, mm. as well. That like these ancient communities would, they didn't, they were by and large illiterate and they didn't have the internet or text messages or books like we yeah, do. Right. And so they were preserving their stories, not in writing, but in a community that cherished and preserved these stories. And so we as modern people might think that they would change gradually over time, but, but they were preserved very carefully. And yeah. so, for example, um, we have good evidence that the Gospel of Mark is based on the eyewitness account of Peter. And... We get this from early church witnesses, and we also see Peter being pretty prominent in Mark. Right, yeah. Um, and, and so one theory that I think makes sense is that uh, Peter's preaching in the early church was the oral tradition Right. that you have in Mark's gospel. The teaching of the apostles. Yeah, yeah, and so you imagine Peter preaching and telling these stories over and over again. Uh, you know, I can tell you I've preached sermons multiple times, but they don't change in such a way that the facts are completely different. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, uh, so the idea here is that Peter has preserved this testimony, the teaching of the apostles, and it's been preserved uh, through Mark in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the other thing that, that really kind of weighs against this whole memory of Jesus thing 
is that once again, we have the resurrection of Jesus very firmly established in the other New Testament writings that are earlier than the Gospels. Uh, most yeah. notably the, the writings of Paul in a book like Galatians yeah. or in a book like 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written at what time? 50? 55, 80? I think 55? 55, 60, yeah. I mean, it's always hard to date these things. Yeah. Uh, we do our best, but... Um, yeah, I think, I think this is an important fact because, you know, the, it helps us to understand the apostles. Jesus picked the apostles to be eye sent eyewitnesses. Right. Mm-hmm. And when they picked apostles in, in or uh, is it Barnabas? Or mm-hmm. Ma- yeah. No, who's the, the 12th? Mat- Matthias? Matthias, Matthias, yeah. So when, the, when they picked Matthias, they said he has to have been here since the baptism of Jesus. He had to be an eyewitness. Yeah, yeah. so he's got to see the whole thing. And so if there was corruptions that would come into the church's teachings, Mm -hmm. we could just say, well, why don't we just write to St. Peter? Why don't we just write to Paul? Or why don't we just walk over to Jerusalem? We'll talk to him right now and settle this. Mm -hmm. Because their very existence and lifespan anchored the message. And I think there was more and more importance to write it down authoritatively as they were nearing the end of their life. Yeah, that's why the Gospels were, it's not like, hey, uh, Luke, you want a book deal? You know, right. John, you want a book deal? Let's write <laughs> it's this. It's going to be a bestseller. Bestseller, no. They, well, it was. <laughs> Still is. And uh, be, because, you know, the church, and I think the church really expected Christ to return, you know, sooner. And so, um, and I think that was because they missed him so bad. And... They, uh, they, they didn't write these things down as gospels because they were being preached by living people. Right. And so uh, when it came, became evident that these living witnesses were, were dying, then they wrote them down and the community preserved them. And even apart from the gospels, you know, we have the writings of the church fathers, you know, Polycarp, for example, mm-hmm. who had a clear connection to the apostle John. You know, these things were passed down you know, even through the leaders of the church, even independently of the New Testament. And so, yeah, we just have to be aware of the way that things were passed down back then, so much more different than what we do now. And one of the things we see, too, is continuity over time. You Mm -hmm. know, so we see, you know, what Polycarp is preaching, it matches what St. John had written in the Gospels, and it matches the testimony of St. Paul. And so we don't see an evolving set of storylines and ideas. We see a continuity from the start. Right. And and, and in the New Testament, we have these like really consistent, coherent themes. And if you ever read something that's like written later, like second, third century Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Peter or the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Thomas, you know, read those. Go ahead and read them. You're going to see that they're kind of weird. Yeah. And they also have all the markers of not being genuine because they even don't reference historical things happening. They're just kind of like wise things that Jesus said. Right. And uh, the early church, by and large, rejected all of this because it was a different gospel. <laughs> right. That just didn't line up. Um, one more thing, too, is that, you know, we have to remember that the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper were very early established in the church. Hmm. And we know this from Paul's writings. In Galatians, he's talking about baptism as a death and resurrection with Jesus. He talks about that in Romans, in 1 Corinthians. And both of these sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are rooted in the death and the resurrection That's of Jesus. That's a good point, yeah. And so 
once again the sitting around the campfire sharing Jesus stories. Yeah. It, I just don't think it adds up. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna share a quote from N.T. Wright, um, his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God. He says this: uh, The early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or the sightings of the risen Jesus in order to explain a faith they already had. They developed that faith because of the occurrence and convergence of these two phenomena. And these two phenomena are the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances. Mm. So they didn't just make up the resurrection because of what they already believed or wanted to believe. They actually told the stories as it happened. And that's, how they, that's where their faith developed, not the other way around. Yeah. Okay. So one of the interesting points I'd like to close on today is the role of worldview. So a worldview is basically what you believe about reality, even apart from evidence. And so it's kind of like the lenses that you wear that color everything. So if you wear glasses that are blue, you're going to see everything blue. If you have a worldview in which resurrection is possible, then the resurrection will be then more appealing to you, perhaps. I say perhaps because, you know, then you have, you know, Islam, for example, or you have uh, Judaism that would contest these things. Um, if you have a worldview in which you already, evidence aside, you just don't believe there's a God and you don't believe miracles can happen and you don't believe the resurrection is possible, then that's going to color the way that you interpret this evidence about Jesus. So you're going to maybe factor that out. Yeah, like, right from the start. I don't know what happened, but most certainly Christ could not have been raised because that's impossible. And so Michael Lacona, at the end of his book, he really kind of, what he does in the book is genius. He takes these five criteria by which historians arrive at some degree of historical certainty. And he puts all of these other hypotheses to the test, you know, that mm. Jesus was, was a spirit, or maybe they hallucinated him, or maybe they told some stories and gradually got the resurrection. He puts all these to the test, and by and large, these claims fail the historical test. Yeah. They just yeah. don't work. But the only one that passes all five of those historical criteria are, I mean, is the resurrection hypothesis. Okay. It passes with fl flying colors, but this is what Lacona says at the end of the book. He just makes this great observation. He says, the only legitimate reason for rejecting the resurrection hypothesis are philosophical and theological in nature. Mm. And so what he means is that if you look at the evidence, if you're trying to explain the resurrection, the resurrection hypothesis makes the most sense of the evidence, but you can't accept that if you already believe that the resurrection is not possible because you don't believe in God. Yeah, so as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking about this idea. Um, sometimes people might think, in, in order for me to embrace Christianity, mm -hmm. I have to reject reason and reject right. evidence. But actually, it's the opposite. That if you're going to be a strict evidence-based person, then that will actually push you to accept the conclusion of the resurrection. Or at least take the evidence really seriously. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah be because um, so much of what we believe, we believe because we already believe it. And, and, mm -hmm. 
And so I think this is true. You know, sometimes people are like, what if I'm only a Christian because um, I was raised as a Christian yeah. and the culture around me is Christian? But, well, that cuts both ways. What if I'm just an atheist and I reject the resurrection because my parents raised me or as an atheist, atheist yeah. and I have been exposed to atheism my whole life? And, uh, you know, if there is such a thing as truth out there, somebody has to grow up believing it because it's what mm. their family believed. So for Lycona, you know, I think I like his approach because he's, Essentially, it's a throwdown to other historians. It's a challenge to yeah. examine, to check your worldview, maybe, and to say, okay. And, and so I'm going to share a quote by Thomas Nagel. He, a lot of these atheists I just really don't like very much, like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, because they're so confident. They're so, like, in your face. They're so, like, we've got all the answers. Let's torch and burn religion because it poisons everything. Yeah. And, you know, and they write books like The God Delusion. You sure. Know? But Thomas Nagel, I like this guy. I've read uh, some of his stuff. And um, he, he's an atheist that other atheists have really had a problem with because he's willing to follow the logic. And, and he says this. He says, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Hmm. And so as we examine the evidence of the resurrection, we have to ask ourselves, like, what do I want to be true? Yeah. Tim Keller does a great job with this. He says, if you look at the world and all the suffering and injustice and evil, and then you look at the beauty of the resurrection and how it's a promise of healing all things, can you at least, even if you don't believe it, would you at least want it to be true? Hmm. Or would you not want it to be true because if Jesus is raised, then I have no claim over my life? Yeah. I think I think that is really nailing nailing it. I think uh, it reminds me of what Jesus says when he's talking in the Gospel of Luke about he gives that parable about Lazarus and the rich man, and the rich man goes essentially to Hades, right? Mm-hmm. And Lazarus goes to be at Abraham's bosom. So it's not what we might expect in the story. Uh, you know, the rich man is humbled, the poor man's exalted. Uh, but then the rich man says, at least, you know, get me out of here. That doesn't happen. He says, at least go and, and uh, send Lazarus to warn my brothers mm-hmm. so that this doesn't happen to them. And the answer is, even if someone was raised from the dead, some would not believe. Yeah. And so the issue, again, you know, and Luther's right on this, is that the issue is always in the will or it's in the heart. It's in the heart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and... You know, I think you've made a good point there that evidence or, you know, the head, intellectual stuff, isn't typically the problem. Typically the problem is the heart. So, for example, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and many believed, but right at the end of that Mm. chapter, John chapter 11, it says that then some went and made plans, you know, to have Jesus arrested and then... And Lazarus killed. And, and <laughs> then later in chapter 12, yeah. to have Lazarus killed, the evidence was undeniable, hmm. but the human heart was not willing to let go of control. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. So... Lord have mercy. Yeah. Not a neutral question, right? Whether Jesus was raised changes everything. So how about we end with a quote today? Sounds good. By our good friend... Yaroslav. Yaroslav Pelikan. Greatest name. If you're going to have a baby, anybody, <laughs> try Yaroslav. Yaroslav. Yeah. He writes this very well penned. If Christ is risen, 
nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. Yep. So this is the hinge of all history, we could yep. say. If Jesus is alive, then I surrender all, right? Yeah. It all belongs to him. If Jesus isn't risen, then... It's all dust in the wind. Party hard and then die. Yeah. Dust in the wind. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks be to God. Christ is risen, Pastor John. He is risen indeed. All right. And so you, dear listener, um, know some of these things. Uh, sharpen yourself on this uh, to be able to uh, be more confident, but also um, know that the issue is generally not one of logic. Uh, the logic is on our side. The issue is, is generally an issue of the will. Yeah. That's and why, you know, I don't think that apologetics converts people typically. I think it's more for the believer to give us confidence yeah. so that we know that we don't have to check our brain. Um, but, and, and apologetics can convince people. Can maybe clear the way. God, the Holy yeah. Spirit's working on them. But, but a lot of times, I mean, um, what do we say in the catechism about the Holy Spirit? I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but Holy Spirit. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Called me by the gospel. Amen. Okay. Talk to you next time.